0: to Luke chapter 13. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, Your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say.
1: good morning, and... uh Let's open in a word of prayer as we come before God's word. Let's close our eyes. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come before you, not as individuals, but as a body of believers, coming to praise you and glorify you and to hear your word. But Lord, that we do this in community as we serve one another, as we love one another, and as we sharpen one another around your word. Help us to understand your truths of your word. Open our ears and our hearts to listen and perceive what you are saying. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're still there in Luke 13, we're carrying on. We're still in the series of Luke. We're slowly making our way through. And at this point, we are following in Jesus' way. We are looking as He is on His way, what He is doing, His ministry as it unfolds, the things that He is saying and teaching, and how that affects us and how that's important for us today. It wasn't a word said 2,000 years ago that has lost its weight and its value. This is as important today as it was then. And what a gift it is that we get to read this and learn from it and grow from it. So let us see what today holds. Just before I begin, I want to share maybe a bit of a story as well as a thought. When I was probably around the age of 20, I think it was for my birthday, I can't remember the details exactly, I came home to find... A massive present wrapped up and waiting for me and you know if you see a big gift you think this is fantastic it's going to be something amazing and uh, as you know life disappoints and so as I ripped the wrapping off I found a cooler box and in my mind I'm going I'm 20 years old I don't know what I'm going to use a cooler box for so I enthusiastically opened it and there's nothing inside it was the cooler box. And in that moment, I thought, why on earth would someone ever want to give me a cooler box? Uh, It took me a good nearly 10 years to realize the importance of one and how helpful it is, especially if your fridge doesn't want to work or you need to take something out of the freezer and quickly store it while you clean your freezer or whatever it is. It's really, really useful. And if you're going on long trips, it just keeps your food and your things cold so that it doesn't spoil. But at the age of 20, you think there's one good thing that can go in there, but it wasn't in there. So, unfortunately, I couldn't understand in that moment why I needed a cooler box. But it took time to realize the importance of it and how it was a useful thing. But back then, I didn't need it. I didn't have a purpose for it. A similar thing that I've experienced also going through life and engaging with people is uh, when you get invited to something. Sometimes it's a party, sometimes it's just a, you know, coffee appointment or a lunch date, or sometimes it's a Bible study. And you go, yeah, it's getting closer to the time, and you go, I could really just stay at home now, put my feet up and watch something. You ever felt that? And you know, you have to go somewhere and you'd rather just lie at home, kick your feet up, and go, this is where I want to be. And then you end up going, and you realize it was so worth it. The Bible study just seems all the more better for it. That there was something discussed there that you needed to hear. Or maybe it was that engaging with those people around you that you needed to just hear what they had to say. Or see where they were at. Has that happened to you? You kind of, you don't want to go to it, but when you get there, you go, oh. I think I was supposed to be here. It's strange how we think. strange how we perceive things. When it comes to expecting things, whether it's a gift or whether it's going somewhere, we create these expectations in our mind. And we come with these ideas, and so often it seems not to either meet our expectations or it takes time to realize how valuable it really was. Because the reality is we determine what we want to do by what we need and what we want. And so often when we have to go to something or whether we receive something, we unwrap a gift, and if it's what we want, fantastic. And sometimes if it's what we need, also fantastic. But when you're not quite sure whether you can actually do anything with it, it complicates it. The same thing when you go and visit someone, or you go for a meal with someone, or you have an appointment, and you're not quite sure what it holds. You don't know yet if you need it. It's an interesting thing how we are wired and how we think. And sometimes that can get in the way of really seeing what is on offer. And so I've put in the outline what good is a gift that you don't need? Maybe you can all agree with that or think about that over Christmas time. Maybe you received something this Christmas that you just. And you unwrapped it, you go, I don't quite need this. Or maybe we should rephrase that and say, what good is a gift that you don't think you need? You unwrap it and you get excited in the process of unwrapping it, but when you get there and you go, I don't think I need this, and you put it aside and dust it off three, four years later, and you go, oh, I still have this. Well, as we have that in the back of our minds... Let's come to this passage and just think it through a little bit more. Let's read quickly in 13 verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings And you were not willing behold your house is forsaken and I tell you you will not see me until you say blessed Is he who comes in the name of the Lord? one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees They were watching him carefully and behold there was a man before him who had dropsy and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying is it lawful to heal on the sabbath or not but they remained silent and he took him and healed him and sent him away and he said to them which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a sabbath day will not immediately pull him out and they could not reply to these things psalm 103 verse 8 it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Is that the God that you serve? Do you believe that that is the God that you serve? Is the Lord Jesus Christ a merciful and gracious God to you? Is God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to you? Well, hopefully we can come to the end of this section this morning and there may be some truths resonating in your heart. Maybe you don't believe that right now, but let's hope and trust that through God's word this morning, you can be convicted of that truth. Before we unpack why that's important for us today, let's look at the context. Uh, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sen- uh, stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you. Left desolate I tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord What I want to draw our attention to Is Actually nehemiah verse 9. I recently read this and it blew my mind So I will challenge you to go and read nehemiah verse 9 chapter 9 Fantastic chapter in the old testament And what nehemiah verse 9 does so wonderfully is it summarizes Israel's history to a massive extent. It summarizes their history through their rise as a nation under God's rule and their fall and God's hand that reaches out to show mercy and them turning to God again and them rising up again and them falling. And as you read Nehemiah 9, you see this pattern unfold where this nation rises up, seeks God, and falls to their own ways, and God shows mercy, and they come back to Him, and they serve Him again, and they fall again, and God shows mercy, and this pattern that keeps repeating through Israel's history. And Just to read a little piece, Nehemiah 9 verse 26 says, nevertheless, They were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in that time of of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the land of their enemies. Isn't that incredible? Here is a nation like Luke highlights that kills its prophets. Not just anything is meant by that, but as you read in Nehemiah, these are prophets to help the nation of Israel turn back to God. To turn back to God. And what does God do? When Israel get to their bottom, when they have gotten to a point where they can't go any further and they realize that they are under the hand of their enemies, they turn back to God and cry out to Him and God shows them mercy. So Nehemiah 9 helps to demonstrate this pattern of God being merciful through Israel's history. And so that helps us understand what is meant in Luke 13, verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. Notice that. Jesus is highlighting the fact that Jerusalem is this nation that will kill the prophets that are sent to her in order to help them turn to God, to serve God. How often have have? I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. And God longs for this nation to come to him to serve him to be his people and yet they rebel. They rebel as Nehemiah tells us. And then we read again it says look your house is left to you desolate. That is the outcome of a nation that rebels. There is destruction at the hand of its enemies. Israel, in Nehemiah, we we hear how the enemies come against them and destroy their city. The house is left desolate. Not only is it left physically desolate in Nehemiah in that context, but there is an absence of their god not because god himself is absent but because they have turned away from god they have turned their backs from him they are seeking their own things their own desires their own way and so they are left empty barren until they turn to him cry out to him cry out to god to save them and then god will send a savior nehemiah says he will send saviors and listen to what it says in the last part it says i tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord now this is a phenomenal quote because it only transpires later on in luke where you actually see this unfold as he comes into the city of jerusalem he comes in on the, on a cult and there the people are shouting and praising and they're saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and there they recognize him as he's entering the city there they recognize him but jesus warning is out he's is warning israel he's is warning jerusalem that they are a nation that kills. They are a city that kills its prophets. But how do we recognize this? How do we receive this mercy that Jesus is bringing? See, we can see it so easily. We know that Jesus is about to come into this city. He is about to die on a cross. And he's about to show the greatest act of mercy for humanity. We know it. Or do we? We read it, we understand it, we've read it before. But what is Luke doing here? Luke is showing a nation, a people, that struggle to understand it. They struggle to understand what Jesus is coming to do by showing mercy. And he does so by demonstrating it. If you notice, in chapter 14 it says, One Sabbath. This is rather vague. But what it does is it gives us an idea that this isn't particularly a sequence of events. It's not the next day. It's not shortly after. But it was one Sabbath. It says, One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. I think there's a couple things that we need to notice here. First of all, that... This man with this swelling of the body He was there most likely by being invited But not by invitation. He was asked to be there by the Pharisees Naturally, they won't sit around a table with a man like this and dine with him Clearly we can see there is something happening in this section of the story there is a man there but just before we are told about him being there we know that these pharisees are watching jesus carefully they have brought him in to see what jesus will do on the sabbath day they're observing to see if he is going to do something that is either illegal in their minds which is unlawful or wrong and so they observe You see there in verse 3 And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. We see that Jesus sends this man on his way after he heals him. But particularly, we also notice that these Pharisees remain silent. When Jesus asks this question, he says, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath? The way he's phrased it, the way he's put it there, is difficult to answer. Because to say that it is unlawful to heal on a Sabbath is to go against what the Sabbath is meant for. We think so easily it's something meant for rest and rest only. But it is also for restoration. Restoration. The Sabbath is there for nature to be restful, but to be restored in that moment. And so to say, no, it's unlawful, would be to say that, no, for this man to be healed is wrong. It makes it a complicated situation, and so they remain quiet. And then you see in verse 5, Jesus pushes them a little bit further to think around their actions. Think around what they are trying to do. And he says to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. I love it. Jesus knows just the right question to ask to silence people. I mean, as I read this question, any objection that I might have to Jesus is silenced because I can't challenge that thinking. It makes sense to reach out to save and to help whether it's a son or an animal that has fallen into a well on that day. Religion falls aside and relationship comes into play. Care for God's creation comes into play. And they couldn't respond. So why is this message here? Why is this little act of healing on the sabbath and the story that jesus gives wedged in here well it's adding to the warning it's adding to the warning that he is giving his people these pharisees in fact you see they're plotting against them they scheming you see they talking to herod in verse 31 of 13 it says at that very hour some pharisees came and said to him get away from here for herod wants to kill you And Jesus sees through that and he said to them go and tell that fox He's sending a message back to herod But he also knows the people that have come they're not warning him out of a courtesy No Jesus knows the path that he's going to take and he is going to die at the hands of the people sitting in jerusalem his hour hasn't come immediately for this to unfold But he sees the hearts of the Pharisees. And if that's not enough, we see that there is no time to waste. You see, Jesus is healing this man on the Sabbath because he's not going to wait till tomorrow. He's not going to postpone it. There's no reason to postpone it if he can do it. And they would rather postpone it because it was the Sabbath. But Jesus looks at the situation and he sees there is no time to hold back on showing mercy for someone that is sickly whose life is hanging in the balance whose days are numbered jesus shows mercy this man is absolutely at his end nothing can save him but here he is brought to this party this dinner broken man absolutely in despair and Jesus heals him. No time to waste. The same goes for the story that he tells about the ox or the son that falls into a well. There's no time to waste. If you leave an ox or a son or whatever in a well, there is the potential of that child that animal drowning you don't wait for things to pass by and the time to be right to get in and do what needs to be done the time is limited so jesus is showing this through this story and so we see even more so that the time is limited Look at verse 32 again. He says, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Time is coming to an end. 33, Nevertheless, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following it, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. His time is coming to a point where He will bring and show mercy in its fullness as He comes to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And like Nehemiah 9 said that God will send send Saviours, now He is sending the one and only true Saviour. And the time is running out. If that hasn't convinced you enough, If we jump just a little bit back to the previous passage that we did last week, verse 25, it says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. There is a time where it will come to an end. God has demonstrated his mercy through generations of Israel's history, all the way leading up to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the final great act of God's mercy. It is the final great act of God's mercy. We don't have any record in history of God extending mercy as He did through Jesus Christ. And every act of mercy that we have today is through Jesus Christ. If anybody tries to do it other than that, outside of Jesus, it's not true. It's not genuine. Jesus Christ is the one who brings mercy. Jesus Christ is the one who brings mercy. And as we sit here today, that same warning... In some sense lies on us that time is limited and it's not to instill fear in the limitation of time but we need to fear the Lord our God we need to turn to him and we need to fall to our knees before him the time is limited Don't think that you can leave here and not make amends with God. If you are living your life thinking tomorrow, tomorrow I will get on my knees and I will make things right between God and myself. Tomorrow I will repent. Tomorrow is not soon enough. Today. Today is the day that God has given us. He has given us today to respond to him. He has given us today to turn to him. He has given us today to be humble before him. Just to bring it back to those images that I gave you, the one of a gift that maybe you don't think you need, I hope that you recognize the greatest gift of all, and that is Jesus Christ. I hope that you recognize that you need him maybe you've known about him maybe you've had him in the corner of your house or on the shelf but you haven't fully weighed up how much you truly need him that without turning to him without seeing your brokenness without putting your foot in that door and entering into life in him there is no hope you need jesus christ You need him so that you can have life i hope you recognize that you need him i hope that you go beyond just thinking about him or maybe it's slightly different maybe someone has extended that invitation to know jesus christ to you maybe for you as you as you contemplate it, you're kind of wondering, should I go, or shouldn't I go? Maybe it's like that situation where you would rather sit comfortably at home and relax in your space than get up and go and sit down at that table with Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't want to go to that dinner with Him. Maybe you don't want to go to that lunch appointment with Him. Or maybe you don't want to go to that Bible study with Him. Because you don't feel you need it. Or maybe you're just too comfortable in the life you're currently living. We do that. And it gets in the way of discovering how amazing it is to serve and love Jesus Christ. Because of what He has done for us. Or maybe you still just don't recognize how desperate we are for him. Each and every one of us needs to reflect and contemplate why we would need him. Israel needed him because they were squashed by their enemies. They were under pressure. They struggled. They were at the end of themselves. And it was through that that they eventually turned back to God. Maybe you are struggling in your weeks. Maybe you're struggling with health. Maybe you're struggling with psychological things. Maybe you're struggling just with managing your time. Maybe you feel like everybody's against you. Maybe you feel you're not loved. My question to you then Is does that leave you broken enough to come before God or are you still standing in your own way I've put there on the outline and something to contemplate through that mercy comes to the destitute mercy comes to those that are broken that are hurting are you willing to be one of those people to recognize that your life is not What you planned it to be? And is it that enough to drive you closer to Jesus Christ? Or are you comfortable with what you have? Let's not come to Jesus on our own terms. Let's come to Him for what He offers us, recognizing our brokenness and seeing that He offers mercy and grace. But the time is limited. So don't hesitate to check your heart before Him. To seek Him. To strive for Him. To search for Him in every aspect, every avenue, every area of your life. Search through the rubble of your life to find Jesus Christ. Don't let this day pass by. I gave this sermon the title of a soup, a soup Kitchen Christ, and the reason for it is most of us sitting here would never consider getting up and going to a soup kitchen for the sake of going to a soup kitchen, because we don't think we need it. I mean, most of us live our lives comfortably. We have food on our table, we have what we need, but would you give up that? to go and meet Jesus where he is serving the broken serving the lost serving the frail the ill let's pray our gracious Heavenly Father we thank you we thank you that you you show us that you are a God of mercy throughout your word throughout scripture Your word points to your mercy for your people. We today are also your people. Help us to not let ourselves get in the way. Help us recognize that we are broken. All of us are hurting. All of us are in pain or struggling, suffering in some other way. That, Lord, let those things not be wasted. Let those things not be the things that drive us further away from you, but instead drive us closer toward you. And that those aren't the things that we, not the reason why we go to you, but that we realize that in our brokenness, the only thing that is everlasting and unchanging is you. And Lord, help us not be religious about serving you and loving you and coming to church on a sunday or meeting with brothers and sisters in christ help us to recognize that we do it because of who you are and what you've done for us because of the mercy that you've shown us help us to be merciful the grace that you've given us help us to share that grace with others lord we thank you for who you are for your invitation for us to be able to be part of your family and let us not waste time to make sure that we are striving for you and you alone we pray in jesus name amen